This morning we're going to look together at this text in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. This whole section of the book of Hebrews has a title, which is Be Imitators of God. In fact, I suppose you could apply that title to all of the second half of Ephesians. How do we imitate God? What does it look like if we were to imitate God? And as we talked about last week, we imitate God by imitating Christ, who is the only way we see God. And so, we're talking in the second part of the book of Ephesians about our walk. Here we have this expression, walk in love. Walk in love. I thought it would be interesting to look and see what Ephesians says about walking. It's a bit of a theme, though it's not mentioned a lot of times. In fact, I've given you a list of all the uses of the word walk in the book of Ephesians. It's printed there in the outline in your bulletin. Here's our walk. First of all, in chapter 2, we're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest lest any man should boast. And then he says, uh, for we are his workmanship. We are the work of God. We are the project. We are the thing being made. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Oh, so God is working, making us a thing for working, for works, for good works. Okay, but this is the, who's the worker? God, but also us. God in us. 
So we're never the source, but we do have things to do. Okay, so we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God prepared beforehand. There's a set of things God has in mind for His people to do, which He has prepared beforehand for them to do, that we should walk. That's the, in them. So, the first mention of the work, of the walk, is we should walk in the good works that God has prepared. Okay? Then, in chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, <laughs> I urge you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So, we are called upon to walk in a way that reflects the weight of our calling. And our calling is our calling together in, the, in Christ. So, he goes on in that text to talk about, he uses this expression, eager to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's really the calling. So, walk in a way that illustrates the magnitude, the size, the weight of that calling. We should mention when we read that text that it doesn't mean walk in a way so as to deserve the calling, because that would not be a calling of grace. But it's walking in a manner that recognize, recognizes the size of it, that sees the glory of it. So how well do you see the glory of the grace of God? Well, Paul had just before that in chapter 3 prayed that we would somehow be strengthened by the Spirit in the inner man in order to trust in Christ, in order to see the love of Christ, to somehow comprehend the greatness of His love, height, width, depth, that He had four dimensions. See the greatness of His love, somehow to come to grasp the ungraspable love of God, to see what is beyond our conception. So here's the thing, for all eternity you will be on that project because there's no bottom to it. For all eternity you will be studying the love of God in Christ and seeing how it reached even you. Well, okay. So that's the second walk. Walk in a, have a life that reflects that reality. Then later on in chapter 4, he says, we should stop walking in a particular way. He says, no longer as the Gentiles walk. Now, he's saying that to a bunch of Gentiles. So, he's saying, you know, you used to be this way. You used to live this way. Stop living that way and live in Christ, the new way. And we discovered that the basic distinction between the old man way and the new man way, there's really just one thing that is the difference between those two ways, 
and that is, who do you trust? The old man way is self-reliant. The new man way relies on Christ. It's really that simple. The old man way walks according to his own wits, his own insight, his own capacity to figure stuff out and do things. The new man relies on the all-giving source of life. The new man's actually alive. The old man is actually dead. So he says, don't walk the way those guys walk. Walk in Christ. Then, in the first part of this chapter, we read, walk in love. That's what we're going to talk about today. And at the end of the passage I just read, we read this, walk as children of light. In love, as children of light. And then another seven verses down, he says, walk not as unwise, that sounds like the old man way, but as wise. So, in love, as children of light, and as wise. So, that's our walk. Today, we're going to look especially at walk in love. And he doesn't just say walk in love. It's wrapped up in something. I want you to see it. Chapter 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God. How? How? As beloved children. Not just as children, as beloved children, as the children of God whom God has set His affections upon, who God has said, I will be your Abba, your Father, your source. As beloved children, we imitate God. And then he says, and walk in love. (laughs) That that means amen in donkey. I don't know if you speak donkey, but that's what that means. (laughs) So, or maybe it means, ah, I don't know. I also don't speak donkey. Uh, So, as beloved children, walk in love as, you see there's a wrapper on the commandment. There's a wrapper that says, you're loved first, so love as you've been loved. This is very important because here's what we like to do with commandments. We like to yank them out of the text and post them on the wall and walk in self-reliance in order to command in order to fulfill the commandments in order to make God appreciate us. To deserve it. That's what we like to do with command. We take stuff that isn't even commandments and do that with it. 
many of you probably have uh, some posting of the fruit of the Spirit in your house. And it's a very strong temptation to see the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. <laughs> I don't know if I got them all. And to take that list and turn it into a list of rules. Even though the sentence says, does not say, here's what you have to do. It says, this is the fruit of the Spirit. This is what the Spirit does in you. That's what the text says. But we like commandments because we like self-reliance. So, here's a commandment. Walk in love. And what it says is, walk in love as beloved to exhibit the love which, with which you have been loved. In other words, the focus is more on the source than on the commandment. Just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Those who are loved by Christ walk in the love of Christ. Those who are loved by Christ walk in the love of Christ. As Jesus, it says, just as Christ also loved us. That phrase, just as, it's a word in the Greek, and it means in the same way. But it also means on the basis of. In other words, do it the way Jesus did it, because Jesus did it. Because you have experienced the love of Christ. Love like Christ. Well, that sort of begs the question, doesn't it? How did he do that? How did he Oh, well, you know the Scripture does this. It raises a question and then answers it right there in the next few words. Just as Christ also loved us, and gave himself up for us. So how will you love like Christ? Give yourself up. Does that mean you should die for anyone's sins? I don't think so, because how would that work? You can't die for anyone's sins. Besides, someone already did that. But here's what you can do. You can give for the benefit of others. You can pay for someone else. You can do something that requires some effort or even suffering on your part in order for someone else to receive some benefit. This is the nature of the love of Christ. It's unconditional. It, he does it on purpose. It's not some accident of his affections. He does it on purpose. And it's sacrificial. But it's not sacrificial just for the sake of being sacrificial. It actually produces a benefit to others. When Jesus dies for our sins... He's not just showing off what a great hero he is. It actually pays the penalty for our sins. 
so that we now are free to be reconciled to God, to have this standing of grace in which we stand, according to Romans 5. Okay, so we also can exhibit this sort of love. Do what's good for someone. It's really that simple. Do what's good for someone and don't pay attention to what it costs you. Oh, and also don't pay attention to whether they're going to appreciate it really well or not. How well, we're the people who know what Christ has done for us. How well are we appreciating it? <laughs> well, we really appreciate it. But here's something. Our, appreciate, our appreciation doesn't come anywhere near the size of the thing we appreciate. Did that... I'm so Christ has plenty of space to go some, to say something like I would say, which is these people, they don't really appreciate what I have done. However, the Scripture does not indicate at all that Christ ever says anything even approaching that. Because for him, the joy is in our redemption and our reconciliation to God in the fact of His demonstration of His love and the Father's love for us. So it didn't really depend on how well we would like it. Many people don't believe it at all. So what is it how did he do that? It's in the text right here. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Who did Jesus die for you for? Well, that's a funny question. Who, did, who was Jesus doing it for when he died for you? Well, one really good answer to that question is, well, you, obviously. He died for you. He died, and you have been restored to active living fellowship with Almighty God, and so been restored to life and real humanity, because real humanity lives in fellowship with God and exhibits that fellowship in all his other fellowships. But anyway, who did he do that for? Not just you. We already read about this in the book of Ephesians, right? Where we read that we're saved, not so that we'll be saved, but to the praise of His glorious grace. It's a worship. Your salvation is a worship. Your redemption, your restoration, your new life in Christ is a worship. Who's the worshiper? Jesus his sacrifice is a fragrant offering. That's an Old Testament reference to the smoke of the sacrifice rising up into heaven as a fragrant offering. In other words, the, the Lord God Almighty enjoys the fragrance of the sacrifice of His beloved Son, His one and only 
It's a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, an act of worship and devotion to the Father. It is wider than us. Bigger than us. We are the instrument of His worship. You can think about that for years, just so you know. Just dwell on that. We are the instrument of the worship of Christ. His act of sacrifice for our benefit is for His Father God, a fragrant offering and sacrifice. Now, all of this is like, wow, that's so fantastic. And then then He says... But sexual, Im- what? <laughs> it's like, like there's this sudden shift. And when there's a sudden shift or when something looks like that to me, I think maybe it's not as sudden as I think it is. Maybe this turn into what, how we should behave isn't as disjointed as it seems. But he says, this walk in love, he's talking about walking in love, and then he says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named. In other words, there should be no hint of these things among you. It would be improper for saints Oh, by the way, I guess we're saints because he says among you, and then he says that's improper for saints. We are saints, and that means we are set apart to him. We are his. He has staked his claim on us. He has separated us from the ordinary things and made us his and his alone. And so, It is improper. These things would be improper among those people, us, the saints. Now, in this context, I think you'd have to notice they're improper because they are not loving. So, the main commandment here is to walk in love. And these things are Anti-love. Anti-love. In other words, they are not, uh, they are not the expression of a well. They're the expression of a sink. They are sucking the life out of people around them. They are not providing the life to the people around them. Hmm. So we ought to look at this list, sexual immorality. Sexual immorality, what is that even? Well, it's this. Any, any sexual relationship or activity that is not a loving marital bond. I'm going to have to say that more times. 
because I really want you to understand this. Any sexual relationship or activity that is not a loving marital bond. So that would include any sexual relationship or activity that is not inside a marriage. It would also include a good bit of sexual activity that sometimes happens inside a marriage, by the way. Because sexual, the sexual relationship is intended to be a bonding agent between two people who are covenantally related to one another in marriage for good until death. Wow, that is, uh, by today's standards, pretty ridiculous. We do not regard sexuality highly enough. We believe in a thing called casual sex. The Bible does not believe in casual sex. Why does this matter? Why is this such a big deal? Because in the world today, it is not a big deal. And the, the apostle is saying this is one of the reasons God exhibits his wrath. Why is it such a big deal? Because the marital relationship is intrinsic to the image-bearing nature of the human creation. That's why. Because God said, let us make man in our image. Male and female, he created them. And when he had only Adam, he said, that's not good. He needs a partner, so he brought a parade of animals before Adam, to, and then the Scripture says, but there wasn't any good partners there. So Adam, he put Adam to sleep. He took a rib from Adam. He made Eve from the body of Adam. And when he brought Eve, Adam said, and God amens this, that's her. And so the Scripture says in Genesis chapter 2, and so men leave their parents and find wives. This is built into the nature of humanity. Why? Because the eternal God himself is an eternal relationship of persons. He is not alone. And so it is not good for his image bearer to be alone. You see, this relationship, this husband and wife thing is intended by God to represent His nature in our nature. It is a big deal. 
And so the sexual relationship is given for the enhancement of that relationship. And to use it for anything else is a profanity. Not fitting. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> so if we are to walk in love, we are to guard the love of the covenant of marriage. Like Hebrews says, let the marriage bed be pure. So God excludes sexual activity of any other kind. And it's sort of a, well, it's anti-loving. Doesn't always seem that way to us. But that's what it is. Well, he goes on, and I'm going to have to speed up. Any impurity. <laughs> Any impurity. How's your purity level? <laughs> and this isn't just talking about sexual purity. This is talking about any impurity. What, is, what does that even mean, impurity? Well, I found this text in Proverbs chapter 6 where it says, here's a bunch of stuff God regards as impurity <laughs> that he hates. Haughty eyes. Haughty eyes. Eyes that look down on th others. Arrogant. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. Now, some of us might feel safe so far on this list of impurities, but if you do, I think you're not thinking that hard about it. But some of us might feel safe because these are like really pretty obvious, horrible, outrageous things. You know, a person who looks down on other people, a person who lies, a, a, a killer or a, someone who injures other people, uh, a heart that devises wicked plans, uh, feet that run to where the evil's happening, a false witness who breathes out lies. That's the second time he mentioned that. But then he says, one who soars discord among brothers. Okay. Ah, impurity. Any impurity said shouldn't even be thought that can enter anyone's head. Not even a hint of it. Then he says, covetousness. Have you ever noticed the big ten commandments? We tend to like the big ten commandments because we can think of ways we're not guilty of them. But <clears throat> you've got murder. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good on that one. Lying, oh, okay. Stealing, pretty good. Not perfect. 
And then you get to the end of the list, and it says, covet. It gets everyone. Of course, most of them get all of us, but that one gets everyone. Covet. Thou shalt not covet. That means you are not supposed to want what belongs to someone else. Ugh. So you should never, ever, ever watch any advertising on television. Because it's very designed, and it's scientifically designed, and it will make you want stuff that doesn't belong to you. Another way you could translate this word is greed. That, you know, give me some stuff. See it, I want it. I see it, I want it. I'm about to go on vacation, so I've been shopping. Man, it's getting to be a long list. I see it, I want it. I see it, I want it. Who is not covetous? And yet this is what he says here, out of place. First Timothy says, wanting to become rich is a, is, will lead you into all kinds of trouble. If your wanting is out of hand, you're in this category. Where is your hope? You know that the text in 1 Timothy says, warn the rich guys not to put their hope in the temporal things of this world, but in Christ. And here's what I think. It is not only rich guys that need this warning. We all need this warning. We all have this tendency to think, well, if only I had this, my whole life would be solved. And this issue of hope is how we know this is an issue of idolatry, of a thing Surpassing God in our affections. So he says, your way, your purpose of living, if it's infected with these things, even a little, these things are anti-loving. <clears throat> he says, these things are not fitting. They are out of place among the saints. Because they don't operate in love. They don't reflect the love of God in Christ. Uh, I could think of an impurity as anything that obscures the image of God in me. That makes God less visible in my life. That would be an impurity. This is in, in Romans chapter 1. Uh, let me just read it to you. And we're going to stop in the middle here. But Romans 1, 
24. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Human beings are created to exhibit the nature of God in the creation. To walk in fellowship with God so as to bear His image. And anything that makes His image less visible in my life is an impurity. Who can keep this list? How do we not read this? And especially that bit about, you know, don't be fooled. This is no one who is sexually impure or sexually immoral or impure or covetous will inherit the kingdom of God. So no one will. No one will. Why bother even talking about it? Well, it's at the end. It's where he says, these are the reasons God's wrath is revealed against who? The sons of disobedience. Oh, wait a second. The sons of disobedience? This isn't the first time he's used that expression in the book of Ephesians, the sons of disobedience. In chapter 2, he said this, you were dead in, your, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You were, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Were. And here he says, the wrath is exhibited toward the sons of disobedience. He's saying the same thing again. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of his, the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. You were. And so when he's telling you this in chapter 5, he is not trying to say, he's not trying to say, obey or else. He's saying, look, when you behave in the old way, you are 
acting in the way that brings God's judgment upon the people who are in the old way. He says it's not fitting. It's out of place. They don't operate in love. They don't reflect the love of God in Christ. They don't impart grace. These are the practices of the sons of disobedience. You are no longer one of those, is how we should read this. You are not alienated from God anymore. You are restored to God now in Christ. You are not subject to the wrath of God. So, he says, do not become partners with them. Don't be partners with them. Don't join in the activities of the lost as though you didn't know any better. Don't become partners with the alienated ones. That word partner is also in chapter 3, where we have been given a new partnership in the things of God. Who you are partners with matters. Don't partner with the lost. Partner with the saints. Don't act like the lost. Don't engage in these things which are not fitting This isn't who you are anymore, is the cry of this text. So he has this very strong warning that is saying to us, you don't have to go that way. This isn't your way. You were in darkness, he says. Well, he actually says you were darkness. But now, now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You're not the same person. We are not the same people that we were before God reconciled us to Himself in Christ. Before God led us to faith by the ministry of the Spirit. You have been changed. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have died. New things have come. So a certain way of life is not fitting. And yet, we need the warning because, you know, we don't... Well, we can be tempted by these things still. And we might be deceived by by this empty talk. Here's the empty talk of the world. Uh, I don't see why you're making such a big deal out of this. That's really hard to resist. Why is it such a big deal? It doesn't seem like a big deal. I don't see it hurting anyone. So we are told here, don't be deceived, don't fall for that, don't go that way, go the way that fits who you are now. And so again, we have old man or new man. And again, this is rooted in what we receive by grace 
from Him. Not what we provide. As beloved children, walk in love as Christ has loved us. As beloved children, walk in love. And this way of walking is not loving. So it's not fitting. Live in the new life. Live in the new life. i got to stop. We are going to talk about this how you speak part that I left out in a few weeks. Father, thank you for your goodness. Lord, help us to see the goodness of your goodness. Help us to see the badness of our badness, our tendency to turn away from you, to do it ourselves, to live whatever way makes sense to us, and not to strive to rest in Christ, not to follow, not to love as we'd been loved. Lord, we need to know your love so that we can exhibit it to the people around us. Help us to remember just how great it is. We pray with Paul that your Spirit would work in our hearts to strengthen us to trust in Christ and to know your great love for us in Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.